0: Well, it's good to have all of you here on site, as well as, huh, uh-huh. as well as everyone online. Hello, everyone online. Hello, everyone on site. How's it going? Week three of being back on site and online. Uh, what a what a unique time we live in, isn't it? And uh, I, I want to just just put it out there that after right after this service here at twelve o'clock. At 12 o'clock, we're going to have our membership class. And this is kind of like a getting to know you class. Uh, if you're online, there's probably a link there that says click if you want to sign up. You can still sign up for it. It's a Zoom class. And, um, and basically, we're going to tell you about our church, where we've been, where we're going. We're going to tell you uh, if you have questions, we're going to answer questions. And it's going to be just a great dialogue about where we're going as a church uh, and, and, and kind of what we believe. And if you want, you can become a member, but it's not obligated. You're not obligated to become a member. It's just finding out more information. So it's not too late to sign up for everyone here on site. You can sign up, let, let Pastor Danny know or myself or one of the pastors. We'll get you the Zoom information. If you're online, click that link, and uh, we'd love to have you join us online via Zoom just as a reminder with your mask, just keep your mask on. Uh, I've said this the last two weeks, I'll say it again. The reason we feel comfortable not having masks here on stage is because there's enough distance from here to the front row um, in terms of the, and how far the virus could actually uh, spread. So with all that said, um, let's let's get right into it. Can, can you think of a time ever in the history of your life that that has ever seemed to be more uncertain than right now. Can you think of a time in your life that has ever been more uncertain than right now? Think about it, you got storms coming from all sides and we might feel like we're being smashed or pummeled by these waves. Maybe it's the storms of finances, the storms of stress, the storms of worry, the storms of uncertainty, the storms of exhaustion, the storms of mental health, the storms of just not knowing, the storms of you fill in the blank there and might feel like we're just being hit from this side and this side and that side. In Matthew chapter 14, I'm reminded of the account of Jesus walking on water. Jesus is walking on water, and the disciples are in the boat, and Peter sees Jesus off at the distance. And Peter says, Jesus, may I come out to you on the water? And Jesus says, yes. Peter gets out of the boat, and he's on the water with Jesus. Jesus is on the water Peter's on the water and things are great. That must have been just such a surreal, unique experience. But then what happened? Waves started coming and then he started sinking. But the Bible says immediately Jesus came and picked him up. What I love about this account is that Jesus was with Peter when Peter was in the boat, Jesus was with Peter when Peter was out of the boat, Jesus was with Peter when Peter was was sinking. As we begin this new series, Wave Walkers, the whole idea of Wave Walkers is that Jesus is with us during the storms, and that we could walk on the waves, we could walk on the water, because Jesus is there with us. And in our storms, may we invite Jesus so that we could walk on water, so to speak, with Jesus. And that's the hope of our series The hope of our series, Wave Walker, is that during the storm, we learn how to hold on to Jesus when the waves hit and not just be smashed by them. Amen? And if you're online, you can even write that. You could just write down that I want to be a wave walker. I want to be a wave walker. And 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 if you're taking notes, write that I want to be a wave walker. And then let's process, how do we do that in our own lives? How do we trust that Jesus is with us in our storm, even though when we don't understand? Because there's a lot of things we don't understand, a lot of uncertainty, but Jesus is there. In fact, the New Testament talks a lot about storms, and this physical storms, but also a lot of these storms also have a deeper meaning to it. And in Mark chapter 4, this is one of those cases where Jesus is in a storm, the disciples are in a storm, and you know where we find Jesus? He's uh, in the stern of the boat sleeping. Waves are coming, the boat's bouncing up and down and he's sleeping. He has what I call the gift of sleeping. Where, I'm not saying I do this, but I'm just saying the baby could be crying throughout the middle of the night. You wake up in the morning and the hypothetical wife says, hey baby, uh, hey Brian, didn't you hear the baby crying last night? And I said, no, because I had the gift of sleeping. Sleeping sounding like a bear. I'm just kind of curious, anybody else have the gift of sleeping like nothing wakes you up? Mm, I'm the only one with that gift in here. All right. If you're online, you have the gift of sleeping like a bear where nothing wakes you up. It is a gift from the Lord. I hope. My wife, Kaz, isn't watching this service. Hopefully, she watched first service. All right, so I do have that gift, and uh, Jesus must have had that gift, because here's what we find out in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse uh, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squaw came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind, wind, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's interesting, whenever a storm hits us, Whenever difficult time hits us, oftentimes our first question is, why God? Or, Jesus, where were you when that happened? Oftentimes we're, we're, we want to know the reason of why something is, is happening. My, um, one of my professors in my undergraduate years uh, wrote this in, in, in his uh, commentary on the Gospel of Mark, um, and this quote, I think, is very profound, and I would encourage you to, to write it down uh, afterwards. We post everything on YouTube, so you go to our YouTube channel, it's just kind of key Christian, and... Um and 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 you might even want to type it in because here's the deal I'm big on reading the bible regularly connecting with god through scripture connecting with god through spiritual disciplines like prayer and meditation and silence and fasting like that's so important to do we need to keep doing those i'm also big on finding inspiration from from god who has inspired other people to write um uh different things and and this is there's a couple quotes I'm going to ask you just to just to write down and just to ponder and kind of chew on this week because there's a lot to it so uh Dr. McReynolds writes this in his commentary on on Mark and he says this he says when problems appear the first thing we want is a miracle is our trust and calm seas or Jesus Do we trust him unconditionally or only when he is awake? Even though we grow through unexpected events in our life, we would rather avoid them. How can we demonstrate our life in God in disruptive times? Who is this person whom even the winds and sea obey? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. You could take a picture of the screen if you're here, um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's something I think one of those quotes is it's worth processing. I wish the commentary was still in print, but it's not. It's going to be difficult to get, but if you can find it, it's, it's worth getting. But this week, or rather this week, I, I, I posted on social media. I said, can you name a biblical character that lived during a time when life was so uncertain? And I got a whole array of names. And the one name that kept coming up was the name of Job. Because Job lived during uncertain times. So I thought, let's talk about Job's life. Let's talk about Job's uncertainty. And here's the book of Job in a nutshell. The book of Job in a nutshell is this. That Job is blameless. And that Job has this... um, adversary that comes to God and says, hey God, um, you know, who, who is this Job? Because the only reason he follows you is because you uh, protect him. And then this adversary takes everything away from him. And then he has friends that come. And his friends come, and his friends are just pointing the finger at him and saying, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? What, where, what sin did you commit? And Job's like, I didn't commit any sin. And his friends are like, yeah, you did commit something. And then back and forth, back and forth. And then at the end of the book of Job, God comes and offers perspective that they weren't even thinking about. Perspective that's profound for you and I to this day. So that's the story of Job in a, in a nutshell. The, the, the book of Job is designed to stimulate our minds, and our hearts by raising huge questions about God's character and the meaning of human suffering. We are invited, as we read this poetry book that's in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, we are invited to to engage with Job and his suffering. We're also invited to process our suffering, our lament, our pain in our lives during this time. We're, we're invited to do that. That's the beauty of the book of Job is that, that, that we are invited to his inner pain, but yet we are also invited to deal with our inner pain, bringing it to the Lord. It's a very profound book. But we're first introduced to Job in Job chapter 1, verse 1, and it says he's a blameless man. In fact, Job was so blameless that he would offer sacrifices for his family. And the, the book of Job says this, just in case he committed, his, his sons and daughters committed a sin that they didn't know about. Like this was the type of person Job was, hey, just in case they committed a sin, I'm going to offer a sacrifice for them just to cover them. He was blameless and upright. Job one. 1. there was a, a, a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was, was without blame. He was right and good. He feared God and turned away from sin. So Job was a righteous man. He was, did right in the eyes of the Lord, and he was blameless, and he had a lot to, uh, he was just, he was a good role model. But then we are transported to this heavenly scene where God's throne room is having like an executive session with his executive team, and which was a common image where God would be on the throne. the The image is that God is in charge of everything. God is sovereign, and so God would be in the throne room, and and everyone was in there. And then we are introduced to this character called. Satan, or some say the Satan in Hebrew, and and uh, and this Satan, this 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 figure, goes to God and says, "I know you think Job is blameless. This is the, his cunningness, right? But the only reason he's blameless, the only reason he's blameless, is because you know you give him everything." Yeah, he has all the nice cars, he has all the great family, the big houses, he has all the great cattle, he has all the great TVs, you know, you know what I mean. And so, so, so then, then he says that's the only reason, but we got to first figure out who is this Satan, this Satan, because that's interesting. Can God and Satan be in the same room? What, what, what's that all about? Well, the word Satan or Satan is not a proper name. Rather, it's a descriptive noun. For all my English teachers there, you're welcome. It's a descriptive noun. It describes the person that stands opposed to or an adversary to someone else. So this adversary comes to God and says, Job is only following you because you have blessed him in so many different ways. And then we read this in Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. This Satan or the Satan says this, the Lord said to Satan, have you thought about my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. He is without blame, a man who is right and good. He honors God with fear and turns away from sin. Then Satan answered the Lord Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you made a wall? around him and his house and all that he has on every side. You have brought good to the work of his hands, and he has received more and more in the land. But put out your hand now and touch all that he has, and for sure he will curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, See all that he has. See, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on him. So Satan, or the Satan, went out from the Lord. And then what we see is that everything is taken away from Job. He loses his family. He loses his livelihood. He loses his health. And he is living in the most uncertain time of his life. Everything is against him. He's in physical pain. He's in emotional pain. He's in spiritual pain. He is living in uncertain times, and he's trying to figure out why in the world is this happening. And, and, and let me just say from the get-go about the book of Job, the ultimate reason of Job's suffering is never revealed. The ultimate reason of Job's suffering in the book of Job here is never revealed. So Job has four friends that come to comfort him, and these four friends comfort him for a little bit. But if you're going to read a book on how to comfort people in their pain, do not follow the example of these friends, because these friends were not the best friends to bring comfort to Job. So these four friends were non-Israelites, just like Job. Job wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't a Hebrew. And they represent the best of ancient Near Eastern thinking about God, about suffering, and about the human condition and the section of chapters 3 to 37 are these four friends the first part it talks about three friends and they come to job they comfort him at first and then they go okay job we have comfort you long enough what did you do wrong and job would say nothing then they would say to job no 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 really what did you do wrong job would say nothing what did you do wrong Nothing. They did that from chapters 3 to chapters 37. Then they said, okay, probably what happened is that you probably did this sin. And they would make up sins that potentially he committed. And Job says, no, I did none of that. So through chapters 3 and chapters 37 of Job, they're debating about three big questions. Three big questions. The first question is, Is God truly just in character? Is God truly just in character? The second question. Does God run the universe on that strict principle of justice? The third question. If so, then how is Job's suffering to be explained? So if God is just and Job is blameless, why is he suffering? This is the debate and discussion that's going on. But there's a big assumption here. This is important to understand. There's a big assumption that Job and his friends, Job and his friends, they're, they're all operating under this big assumption. And the assumption is that they know what God's justice looks like. The assumption is that Job and his friends know what God's justice looks like that is everything ought to operate according to the principles of justice so that is in their mind if you are good you're going to get good things and good things will happen to you if you are righteous you're going to get good things and God will bless you with those things however if you are bad and you're a sinful person bad things will happen if you're good, good things happen to you. If you're bad, bad things happen to you. Do you see the assumption that both Job and his friends are under? That's important to, to remember as we dive into this overview of the book of Job. So, so Job's constant argument, though, is, yes, I believe that's how God operates, but I haven't done anything wrong. There's no secret sin in my life. There's no hidden agenda. Like There's none of that stuff. Like This is, this is me. And then, and then he gets fed up with his friends, and he says, get out of here. And then he gets ready to call upon God because he wants God to respond directly, which is pretty bold. But then before that, another friend comes. He has a Hebrew name, but he is not a Hebrew himself. And this friend comes with a sophisticated argument. Maybe he was the, the wiser of all the friends I, I, I don't know. But here's a sophisticated argument. He says that God is just, and that implies that God always rules in terms of his justice. But then he argues, this is his friend arguing this, that, that good people suffer perhaps as a warning to avoid sin in the future. This is his friend trying to make sense of what's going on with Job because of the assumptions they have. Perhaps it's a warning to avoid sin in the future. And then he says, or perhaps you're suffering or people suffer, good people suffer, because it builds character. And Job's response to this friend, he doesn't even respond. (laughs) He's like, I'm done with you. Get out. So then what happens, so, so with this though, it's like, so with his friends all leaving, it's like uh, uh, the wisdom of the ancients has been spent and the mystery still remains. It's like the wisdom of the ancients have been spent and the mystery still remains of why good things happen to bad people. But then God shows up and he shows up in a whirlwind, which must be really intimidating. Because during this time, remember, Job must have been going through a lot of difficult struggles emotionally, spiritually, physically. He had his ups and his downs. He's wondering why this is happening to him. He even at one point questioned, God, you must not be just because this is happening. And in the next sentence, he's like, no, God, I'm so sorry. You are just. And he, he did things like this. Why? Because he's on this emotional roller coaster trying to be true to the Lord, trying to muster all the faith that he has, but not understanding any of it. So he made some accusations against God, and God comes in a whirlwind and he responds to Job. And first, he responds to Job. First, God responds to Job's accusation that he is unjust and incompetent to run the universe. That's pretty bold for Job to say, you must be unjust, even though he goes, I'm so sorry. And then he says, you must be incompetent in the universe. Oh, I'm so sorry, because he's on this roller coaster. And here's what God says. First, God takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. And in Job chapter 38, verses 1 to 7, we read this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? God's saying, where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And the point what God is saying here is that, that he's letting Job and also, and directly his friends know that they, their assumption about running the world and their assumption about how God runs the world is completely false. And so underneath that assumption, and this is important, you can write this down, Underneath that assumption is that Job and his friends think they have enough knowledge and perspective on how God ought to run the world. Underneath that assumption is that God and his friends think they have enough knowledge and perspective on how God ought to run the world. So... So that's kind of something that we keep in mind there that that what he's doing is is God is deconstructing Job's um, uh, assumptions. Meaning, Job and his friends have these assumptions, and what's happening to these assumptions is God is breaking them down. He's letting them see that there's some fallacies in their assumptions that they have. He shows Job this vast universe and how complex this universe is. He's showing Job how how amazing this universe is and how big this universe is, and that God's eyes are on the entire universe. Whereas he gets to Job, he says, Job, you're just focusing on your little world right here. This is what you're focusing on. It's not that God doesn't care about Job. He absolutely does care about Job. He's trying to bring Job a different perspective. Job is simply not in a position to make a decision on God's justice. So here's God's second response. After Job confesses his arrogance, God responds again, this time inviting Job to take up the divine throne and run the universe for a day. <laughs> Sounds like a good movie plot. It's like, All right, Job, you think you can do it better? There you go. Run the universe. Remember Bruce Almighty, what, 10 years ago, 15 years it ago It's a great movie, isn't it? You got Jim Carrey, Morgan Freeman, Steve Carell. Like, that's a, all and then, And then Jim Carrey is like, you know, because, you know, he's like trying to respond to all these emails, prayer emails coming in. And he says yes to all. Everyone wins the lottery. And then... That hockey team wins the Stanley Cup for the first time in a million years. And uh, then there's rioting and all this stuff. And and then he basically messes up the world trying to run it. So that's that's kind of what's going on here. So I don't know if they got the script from Bruce Almighty from Job. I don't know. But there's some, some similarities here. But here's what Job says. Or here's what we read, rather, in Job chapter 40. Dress yourself with shining greatness and great power. Cover yourself with honor and greatness. Pour out your anger that is flowing over. Look on everyone who is proud and put him to shame. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him down, crush the sinful where they stand. But obviously, Job can't do that. He's not in a position to do that. But here's what the book of Job does. The book of Job invites us to trust God's wisdom When we encounter suffering, rather than trying to figure out the reasons for it, how many times has something happened to us and we're like, why did that happen to me? I lost my job. Why did that happen to me? What's the reason behind it? Or the common saying is, there's a reason for everything. Sometimes we try to figure out a reason when instead of trying to figure out the reason, maybe we should just rely on God's love and God's wisdom during everything, I'm going to read you another quote from um, John Walton, who's who's um, a Hebrew scholar, and this is one of those quotes that it'd be worth writing down and and chewing on again this week. Really processing and pondering it this entire week. And, and uh, if you're here on site, you can take a picture of it. I think it's two slides. And, um, and you can always go back. Like later today, it'll be on our YouTube channel. It'll be on our, uh, our website, kind of and uh, And it'd be worth, worth kind of writing down, even typing it out yourself. And here's what John Walton says, a Hebrew scholar. Uh, he says, God answers God's answer to Job does not explain why righteous people suffer. Because the cosmos is not designed to prevent righteous people from suffering. Job questioned God's design, and God responded that Job had insufficient knowledge to do so. Job questioned God's justice, and God responded that Job needs to trust him, and that he should not arrogantly think that God can be domesticated to conform to Job's feeble perceptions Of how the cosmos should be run. God asks for trust, not understanding, and states the cosmos is founded on his wisdom, not on his justice. That the world is founded on the wisdom of God, not on the justice of God. So then all of a sudden, the book concludes with a short epilogue in chapter 42. And the first thing God tells Job is that, Job, your friends had it all wrong, but Job, you had it right. Now, just a clarification here. God's not saying all your bad assumptions, Job, is, are, is right. But what God is getting at is, is this, Job, how you wrestled with your doubt and your l- lament and your pain and your suffering. That's what is right. What is right is that you wrestled with it through prayer, and, and, and you struggled with why things are happening and you brought it to me. That's what God is commending Job for. And so wherever we are in our lives, wherever we are in the storm of life right now, Let's trust in the wisdom of God. Let's trust in the goodness of God. Trust in the grace of God. Trust in the love of God and the peace of God that that no matter what happens, he is there with us. Let's not worry about trying to figure out all the little reasons of why this possibly could have happened or didn't happen. Let's, Let's not worry about that. Let's just put our trust in the Lord and that is easier said than done, without a doubt. That's easier said than done. But the Lord calls us to be faithful and the Lord calls us, to be trust, to have our trust in God. Then the book of Job concludes, and here's how it concludes: Job gets family, his family gets a, like the, gets his health, gets family, gets wealth, all that's restored. Now that's not a, it's it's not like a reward. It's not like saying, Oh, Job, you handled the situation so great, here's your reward. It's not any of that, it's a gift. All this stuff that Job got back is simply a gift. It's not a reward. It's not like because if it was a reward, it would go against everything the book of Job's talking about. It's a a gift. It's not a reward. It's God saying, I just want to give this to you. In other words, it's grace. So this book here, Does it unlock the puzzle of why bad things happen to good people? Just process that for a bit. It doesn't unlock the the, the ultimate question of why bad things happen to good people. And the band could come on this last thought here. You know, last week we talked about some reasons of why possibly bad things happen. You know, we talked about the fall of sin. Without a doubt, that's a result of why bad things happen. And the reality is that Jesus can identify with us on the cross. We talked about that last week. Absolutely, Jesus identifies with us on the cross. He comforts us. He, all the pain that we've been through, he has been through. And we have a Savior who identifies with us. But the book of Job doesn't unlock the puzzle of why bad things happen to good people. Rather, here's what it does. It invites us to trust God's wisdom when we encounter suffering, rather than trying to figure out the reasons for it. It invites us to trust God's wisdom when we encounter suffering, rather than trying to figure out the reasons for it. I'm going to read you a quote from the Bible Project, which helped me with the um, uh, uh, with forming this manuscript. And. I just want you to process this. Another one of those quotes that would be good for us to to write down, to copy and paste, to, to process throughout the week. When we search for reasons, we tend to either simplify God like Job's friends or like Job, accuse God based on limited evidence. The book invites us to honestly bring our pain and grief to God and to trust that he cares, realizing that he knows exactly what he's doing. When we search for reasons, we tend to either simplify God like Job's friends or, like Job, accuse God based on limited evidence. The book invites us honestly. The book invites us to honestly bring our pain and grief to God and to trust that he cares, realizing that he knows exactly what he's doing. And in this time that we live in today, in all of the uncertainty of life, in all of the struggles that you and I are going through, that the world is going through, may we look to the Lord and trust that he is good. May we look to the Lord and trust that he is wise and that he loves us unconditionally. And may we realize that God is with us in our midst. And it may feel like we're sinking, but let's hold out and reach out to Jesus because he will pull us up and allow us to become wave walkers, to walk on the water with him, even in the midst of storms. Let's not try to figure out why everything's happening. Let's muster up all the faith we can and pour out our hearts to the Lord and ask the Lord to intervene. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit come on everybody here in this room. May your Holy Spirit come on everybody online who's watching all over. And God, may your Holy Spirit bring the comfort when we need comfort, wisdom where we need wisdom, knowledge where we need knowledge. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit just consume us, and God, may our eyes be lifted to you. For those who are in just utter despair, may you bring them hope. For those who are just lost and lonely, may you bring them comfort, but God, may your Holy Spirit just move in the lives of everyone. We need you, Jesus. We trust you, and we love you. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing as we worship the God, our God through song.